Hey everyone, Misaligned is back with episode 101. It still feels weird to be in the hundreds here now, but our last episode was all about Paramore with Sam Maza or Matza. I don't know. We never did figure out how to pronounce her name, did we, Megan? <laughs> no. <laughs> Sorry, Sam. We're, we're excellent hosts over here at Misaligned. But before we dive into today's episode, which is going to largely focus on the killers and then some other rock bands and their fan bases, I want to let you all know that Misaligned is part of the Modern Vinyl family of podcasts. You can find all the shows over at modern-vinyl.com. Check those out. The MV podcast is going strong right now. And before we dive into the conversation, too, we are going to have you listen to Jealous by culture abuse we haven't had a song of theirs on here yet and 6131 records is still sponsoring so go ahead and listen to that now hope you have all enjoyed that. Megan actually has some more information on culture abuse for you all in the later read for 6131 Records, but right now we are going to dive on into our discussion on the killers because their fan base might be the most appropriately named for the band name. They are the victims, which, you know, it's a little dark, but it makes perfect sense since the band's name is the killers. And Megan, I know this was something you and I both noticed right off the bat, basically, because quite a few of the other ones, sometimes they're random or they're a play on the artist name like Beyonce and the Beehive. And then I think Ariana Grande's is just the Arianators or something like that. And, you know, Justin Bieber and his Beliebers. Ugh, Justin Bieber. <laughs> Ugh, blasphemy, I say. Anyway. It's been interesting doing this season of fandoms because we've learned so much about some of the different fandoms in the pop world, in the rock world, and even like in the alt-rock world, where I'm currently doing some research on something we're going to talk about a little later in this episode, which is actually kind of funny. But the Killers, the one thing I know that everyone talks about with the Killers are memes. Like, I somehow can't think of the killers without thinking of some quality memes with uh, Mr. Brightside. Yeah, they definitely are floating around all over the internet. And, you know, I didn't even really know they had a name for their fan base, basically, because it's not really something I've paid a ton of attention to. It's more so with these big pop artists and the Beatles, obviously. It's like, you can't help but avoid it in that case. But with the killers, you know, they've just always been the killers to me. And I didn't realize the victims were their fan base name. And did you know this 
going into this season or was this something new for you too? Totally new for me, honestly. But there are some bands that I wouldn't really expect them to have fandom names like this. But then at the same time, it totally makes sense because I'm just like, oh, yeah, the killers, the victims, a little morbid, a little possibly inappropriate for today's society, given everything that's been going on with death. But, you know, it works, I think. Yeah, definitely. One of the things I noticed when I was just browsing around their website and everything is they have a specific tab on their website for the victim's fan base. But if you go to it, it just says it's coming soon. And I'm curious to know how long that's been up there because the killer's website is never one I've really gone to directly. Usually I just find out about their stuff through my RSS feed or Twitter or whatever. So going to their website, I was like, huh, I wonder if this is something that has been in the works for a while and it's just always said page coming soon or if it's actually going to be a live page in the near future. Hmm. And I'm looking at this website and it looks like it possibly is from an older era for them. Yeah. Because it it just doesn't seem to fit with anything I've seen recently from them. Of course, now I'm like totally blanking on the album that I'm picturing this era from. Samstown. There we go. It's either a Samstown era or day and age era. Just by the themology, how the pictures look, it might actually be more so Samstown than day and age, honestly. So if that's been a website page that's been up for about 12 years now, that's a little weird. (laughs) Yeah. But you know, some bands are secretive like that. Yeah, it's certainly not uncommon for bands to sort of just post things and then never really get to them or sort of forget that they had this plan in mind or something. But I do have an article here from 2015 and it's over on Fuse. It's The Victims, A Look at the Killer's Crazy Passionate Fan Base. And, you know, they have an Urban Dictionary definition and everything for their fan club. And then They sort of just go down basically how you can find the fan club and everything like that. And they had a musical pilgrimage, apparently. So they would go to Vegas and then go visit a bunch of places listed. It's not a super long article, but it's just pretty cool to get that sort of insight into things the fan base does and how they make an event out of it, basically. True. And it's worth noting that the article was written by a former guest on Misaligned. By the always wonderful Maria Sherman. I did not even notice that when I clicked on it the first time. So, you know, that is a very happy coincidence here. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Maria's everywhere. But this is very weird. And wow, there actually is a link in this article to a 2014 page from Mashable talking about why the victims are one of the most active and biggest fan groups around. It links to uh, top 20 music fan armies. And wow, some of these are ridiculous. Like, really, really ridiculous. I've touched upon this earlier this season, where some of these fan bases have some ridiculous names. Like, we've got the Rihanna Navy, and Selenators for Selena Gomez, or the Mahomies or Mahonies for some kid named Austin Mahone. (laughs) So weird. But the victims for the killers are actually listed as number 12 as of December 2014. 
one below the little monsters, one above Arianators, and five above Bruno Mars's hooligans. I wonder if that has changed since Bruno has gotten such a large amount of success in the past year and a half, even more so than 2014. Kind of disgusted that Team Breezy, the Chris Brown, is listed as number 20 on this, but this is solely based on Twitter data, so there really isn't a way to calculate how many people are truly, truly victims or members of fan clubs. It can also be noted that Beyonce is not on this list. She makes it at number 21. Yeah, I feel like maybe that's just because they probably did this when there was a lull in the Beyonce stuff, because wasn't 2014 when she dropped an album in December? Or am I getting years mixed up? I'm probably getting years mixed up. Let's see. Uh, If you're thinking of Beyonce, the visual album that was dropped on December 13th, 2013. Okay. So I think just a year before that, but the Beehive was still really just buzzing about that album. And I mean, I'm looking at when the singles were released. Partition was released in February of 2014. Pretty Hurts was released in June of 2014. So she was still racking up stuff in 2014. Yeah, so that's very odd then. (laughs) Right. But as we did mention, Beyonce just rarely uses Twitter. So maybe that's why. Yeah, that's true. But when we were talking about the Beehive and everything, the fans were still really active on Twitter. But that could also be a more recent thing because... Obviously, we're talking about her fan club after her most recent album, not the one from 2013. So different albums will sort of spark different things within the fan bases. And it's interesting to see that the Killers are really the only rock band that is in the top 15. I know you have One Direction and they're technically a band, but I wouldn't call them a rock band by any means. I mean, you could totally count Harry Styles' new direction as a rock direction, but otherwise they're pop. Yeah. And, I mean, with the Killers, for some reason, Mr. Brightside, which is also the butt of many memes that I have seen, because the whole coming out of my cage and I've been doing just fine, that sort of thing. But since the song came out in 2004... Somehow, it has still been able to top the charts 18 years, or wow, can't math today, 14 years later. I'm looking at an article from some website called officialcharts.com, seems legit, that is from March 16th, and it says, Why the Killers is Mr. Brightside refuses to leave the official singles chart top 100. And the little tagline under that says the indie pop classic just logged its 200th week inside the official singles chart. Yeah, that's interesting. Right. And please know that this is more so in the UK. So something somewhere has sparked this huge just like love and adoration for the killers, mostly in Britain, which is weird since they're an American band. Yeah, I could kind of see that, though, because they're probably a band that tours there fairly frequently, because a lot of the larger artists are going to tour on a more global scale. You know, obviously, we've seen big pop artists like Beyonce do that, Lord's done that, and Adele is 
not from America, but she's obviously had huge tours here too. So it just really depends on what clicks in certain countries. That's true. And as I read this article even more, it says that Mr. Brightside was the most streamed song of any track released before 2010. And in the last year, from March 2017 through, well, our current March, the song has been streamed 45 million times, while so far this year alone, it's averaged about 878,000 plays a week across all major streaming services. So it's still technically in the top 100. Not necessarily in the top top, more so in the bottom part of the top 100, but it's still there. And... Because people still download songs if they don't have a streaming service subscription. It's been downloaded an average of 696 times a week this year so far. Yeah, that longevity for that song is just really crazy when you think about the numbers behind it and everything. Because the numbers really don't lie, especially in the age of digital and streaming services so you have this band that has really stood the test of time just because of one song really (laughs) so it's fascinating to see that but before I dive into the next little bit of the fandom did you listen to their most recent album wonderful wonderful I believe it's called I haven't listened to it in full honestly I I wasn't super impressed with the singles that have come out from it like sure they're catchy But each time I listen, I'm like, this doesn't really sound like Brandon Flowers and The Killers. Like, it's just, I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm older and my tastes have evolved so much that it's just, I don't know. It just feels like something I could see Arcade Fire doing. And I love Arcade Fire with all of my heart, with the exception of, you know, the kind of dismal everything now, which, weirdly enough, was literally the best album in the Junos for, like, record of the year in Canada, I looked at that list of who else was nominated, and clearly Arcade Fire deserved to win that one. <laughs> I'm serious. You should look this up. I've honestly never really listened to Arcade Fire all that much. Well, they're not bad. Also, the fact that the Butler brothers are like six foot gazillion. <laughs> it's unreal. Like, they've got, well, maybe not Will Butler, but Win Butler is tall, and I think he's like six eight maybe 6'6". Then there's Richard Reed Perry, who's this giant, giant redhead. And stop being tall, people. Just just stop being tall. (laughs) Well, one other aspect of the fan base that I wanted to bring up quickly here is the Killers Reddit. It's still fairly active, even though the band isn't really up to much right now. If you go to it, you'll see posts from within the last few days on the front page of it and everything. So you have this fan base on Reddit and Reddit is one of those places where I feel like it's kind of hit or miss. Like some people are very strict in certain subreddits and others are quite welcoming. And I still haven't been able to figure out Reddit. It's like, I'll have a stretch of using it and then I'll just get tired of it very quickly and not use it at all. But they're definitely keeping things going on there and, I don't know if you've ever really used Reddit all that much, but it's an interesting place. And this seems like a pretty pleasant subreddit as far as a lot of things on Reddit go. (laughs) This is true. I mean, I am a member of Reddit. I 
I'm a member of the Indie Heads subreddit, a few other subreddits related to music. More so, I'm an observer rather than someone who actively engages on Reddit. Right. But the Killers Reddit seems perfectly harmless, and it's got really nice posts and, of course, memes, and then really not a lot of drama compared to other Reddits or subreddits, I should say. Yeah, and they have some helpful information, too, there. They have a little resources section in the sidebar, and then they have the Twitter for the band, the members, same with Instagram. So it's actually pretty useful if you just want one place to go and find, you know, their touring schedule, discography, and have that sort of all in one little place for you. I think so. And interestingly enough, I could see this band being talked about on Indie Heads, but I've gone through about three pages under the new section so like the most recent posts are first and there's really nothing about the killers on here i see stuff about arcade fire hooray for the riffraff lcd sound system ooh, frankie cosmos too but really nothing about the killers so maybe they somehow are so popular that doesn't belong on indie heads anymore maybe oh man Well, is there anything else you want to mention specifically about The Killers before we move on to a couple other bands? Well, I do have to say that their first album is still easily my favorite. Like, I will always and forever be a hot fuss stan. Yeah. And it's one of the few albums that my brother listened to ad nauseum growing up. Like, he ruined My Chemical Romance for me. He ruined a bunch of weird Japanese bands, but they were more on the techno realm, and I just could never get into them. But Hot Fuss holds a fond place in both of our hearts, and it truly is a miracle that he did not ruin that for me, despite all of the times he played it. (laughs) I think I did finally end up buying that on vinyl, and it was just such a great purchase. I was like, yes, I finally own this on vinyl. It is wonderful. (laughs) One of my best friends from Penn State is a huge, huge Killers fan, and I forgot to actually ask him if he knows anything about the Killers' fan base. And I know that each time I see Hot Fuss in a record store, I'm like, hey, Dan, do you have this yet? Like, maybe you could Venmo me some money and I'll send it to you because I know this is on your list of things you really, really want. But it hasn't happened yet. (laughs) Awesome. Well, do you want to tell us a little bit more about 6131 Records real quick here before we dive into a few other bands that I know you and I both want to mention? Gladly. This episode of Misaligned, like every other episode this season, has been sponsored by 6131 Records. They've got a bunch of new stuff up on their website, from shirts and merch to pins, etc. And you can find that all at their web store at shop.6131records.com. We mentioned that we played a Culture Views song at the beginning of this podcast, and I do believe that they are now on the third pressing of Peach. There are available on the web store right now 500 copies of their double mint vinyl and 1,000 copies of their silver vinyl. So if you don't have Culture Abuse's Peach yet, it is $18 and you can still pick up one of those two nice colorways. In addition to everything that 6131 sells, it's worth checking out their distribution section because they have so many great records that you wouldn't even think to look at 6131's website for them. I mean, they've got Lucy Dacus' historian up there, and Lucy is also a Richmond native, so she's 
I'm sure she is close friends with the 61301 crew. They've got Sufjan Stevens' The Greatest Gift LP, the tape version of Japanese Breakfast Soft Sounds from Another Planet, and they've got the Psychopomp LP, too, from them. 6131 is a wonderful, wonderful label, and if you haven't checked them out yet, you should. We've only talked about them a million times on this <laughs> podcast. So, if you want any more information about any of the 6131 bands, including Sammy Lanzetta, The Winter Passing, Culture Abuse, Suburban Living, etc., or to see tour dates, you can go to 6131records.com. Awesome. Well, now we are going to dive into a few other bands that you are all very familiar with, I'm sure. One of the first ones I want to bring up, though, is Green Day, because their fan base is really done in an official capacity. They have a separate website for it. They have a Twitter account and the Twitter account alone has over 50,000 followers. And the fan club is called Idiot Nation. And I believe this has been this way for quite a while, definitely at least since American Idiot, because that would make sense. And, you know, they the website, I believe, is just gdidiotnation.com. I will definitely check on that right now. Yes, that is correct. So basically, you go there and it's just a picture of the band, a little bit of information on the fan club, and then a sign-up form. So it's nice and simple. We'll have a link to that in the show notes in case anyone wants to check it out. But I thought it was very interesting how official they have their fan base or fandom. And it's because it seems like everyone we've talked about so far hasn't really had something set up in a in an official capacity. We talked about the killers having the little victims tab on their website, but they didn't end up doing anything with it. So it's one of those things where maybe they had the intention to do that, but Green Day has definitely gone all out with the fan club and everything like that. That's true. And I wonder if the fan club would absolutely slaughter me for saying that I still prefer the Broadway version of American Idiot to the actual record version of it. Let's hope they don't slaughter me for saying that, but it is, in my opinion, a superior album, even though American Idiot is a classic. But Green Day is also one of those bands that have just been around forever that it makes sense that they would have something so official and like nicely set up like this. Yeah, and it's always nice when it's very straightforward too. And to be that active on Twitter to where you have over 50,000 followers, I know the band itself has a lot more followers, but that's nothing to, you know, be upset about if you have 50,000 plus people following your fan club account. This is absolutely true. And it shows that even though they're not like super, super active as much anymore, I mean, I haven't really heard any new things that they've been doing, that having that substantial amount of fan club support, even on Twitter, is pretty incredible. Yeah, because they could do something as simple as repress an album. And I'm sure the fans would be all over that because Green Day's been around for a lot longer than the rest of the bands that we're going to talk about, it seems, because they've been doing this since they were teenagers. And obviously, they didn't have the fan club right off the bat, but they've definitely worked at building up that fan base to have that sort of reaction whenever they do something. True. And I mean, we're also talking about a fan base that is older than we are, that has been around longer than we have, essentially. 
which is kind of cool to think about, really. Yeah, it's it's like the Beatles was different because we didn't live at all during the the Beatles time period. So to have a band who has been relevant in our lifetime, not that the Beatles haven't been relevant, the Beatles are still fantastic, but with, like you said, American Idiot, you know, that was a big album and it had sort of this big thing to say when it came out because of when it came out. And it's just really interesting to sort of relate to this fan club because Green Day is a band that I've listened to for quite a while now and they've been one of my favorite bands probably. I've never really gone through and made like a top list or anything like that but they're up there somewhere just because of how easy it is for me to return to their music and everything like that. Right. They're so prolific that they're just one of those things that's like comforting. It's always there for you. If that makes any sense whatsoever. (laughs) I get what you're getting at here, but I know the other two bands that we want to talk about before we dive into recommendations and everything. This is going to be a bit of a shorter episode just because, you know, these bands are interesting, but I didn't feel like all of them could necessarily do a full episode by themselves. So we have My Chemical Romance with the Killjoys and Fallout Boy with the Youngbloods and we were discussing this before we hit record here and fallout boys fan club name has changed uh, at least once or twice and that's something that seems weird to me because i feel like you would just make it one thing and then just have it stay that so you have like consistency with the branding and everything but maybe that's something they don't care about as much well when we were in like middle school and high school, even when Fall Out Boy was at the peak of being the emo heartthrobs everyone loved, with hits from Under the Cork Tree, Infinity on High, Folly Ado, etc. Actually, those are the three main emo era ones, you know. But they were known, like their fan base was known as the Overcast Kids. And I remember a lot of my friends being members of the Overcast Kids. And kind of like saying how much they enjoyed being part of the Overcast Kids despite a gloomy sounding name. Now apparently the fan base is called the Youngbloods and I wonder if this kind of takes shape from Save Rock and Roll from 2013. We're coming up on five years since that album has been released. It essentially since I guess Fall Out Boy reunited if I'm thinking of the timeline correctly. But in 2014, they actually released The Youngblood Chronicles, which was a music video for every song from Save Rock and Roll. And it featured 2 Chains, Big Sean, Foxes, Courtney Love, and of course, the ever-wonderful Sir Elton John. But other than that, I can't really find anything on the current era of what their fan base is called because they're in the mania movement right now. I mean, their new record, which I admittedly still cannot get into, despite the fact that it was number one when it came out on the Billboard 200. Yep, yep. Debuted at number one on January 19th on the Billboard 200 which was the band's third and fourth chart-topping debut. Third consecutive and fourth overall. But the like I feel like the Youngbloods just doesn't really fit with the mania 
arrow that they're trying to come off with right now. Like, the web store is very purple. Like, very, very purple. Like, I don't want to look at it anymore. And they've got Last of the Real Ones tees done in, like, a hardcore style. They've got a cardigan with a wave on it. And, of course, my new favorite piece of band merch ever, a Mania Bath Bomb. And, oh, my God, apparently Pete Wentz did a Q&A on Twitter about this bath bomb. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely interesting that you point out the color scheme for Mania because it's very purple and everything. And if I recall correctly, I have Save Rock and Roll and it's on red vinyl. And then you have the red cover of Folia Do and... It feels like, you know, Young Bloods might go a little better with those two albums because of the red color scheme and Bloods and everything in the name. But exactly. It's very interesting to me when bands decide to change the name of their own fan base because sometimes it's just something that the fan base comes up with on their own. And obviously, with the killers, the victims goes hand in hand with that. And Green Days being Idiot Nation totally flows with the band's brand and everything but for fallout boy to just sort of be a little inconsistent with that it's definitely one of those things that in my head i'm like but why would you do that and i don't know if we'll ever get an answer to that but it's interesting to sort of look at those things like the color schemes and everything of certain albums and how it fits with the branding the name and everything like that True. And even with the American Beauty, American Psycho era, Youngblood still doesn't exactly fit with that. Yeah. It's a little weird. But you know it's Fall Out Boy, and they keep always surprising us over the years, so <laughs> we may never actually know the answer to this. Yeah, I also find the Killjoys for My Kept Muckle romance to be a little interesting because Killjoys is actually used in the title of their final album, I believe. And I don't know if I ever actually listened to said final album, but the band is no longer making music right now and everything. And Gerard Way really got into comics and everything like that. That much I know. But do you know anything about My Chemical Romance's fan base? I just checked their website and they do have a community that's still active because I guess March 22nd was the anniversary of the band breaking up or something like that. So they had quite a few posts in the community section revolving around that, but they didn't necessarily refer to Killjoys in any way on the website. Literally, I know nothing okay. about this era, about them as a whole, because like I said, my brother absolutely slaughtered this band for me growing <laughs> up. But it is interesting to note that right now Gerard Way has still kind of been performing music like he's been doing a little bit of solo stuff he released two unreleased tracks from Hesitant Alien his solo album from 2014 but he did that back in 2016 and it looks like right now he's got Gerard Way and the Hormones okay where he does the lead vocals which is something <laughs> but otherwise, the Killjoys, I can I can see that. The band has long cultivated the image of the somber, well, for lack of a better word, emo child. With the heavy, like, painted on makeup and the, let's be a little different. Like, we can be those Killjoys to the preppy counterparts all around us. 
which were common themes seen in the music strewn throughout their entire career. And I do find it interesting that, of course, there's still a lot of major hype for things that specifically Gerard Way is linked with. He's got the comic book series that's The True Lives of the Fabulous Killjoys, which I believe was also... Ah, yes, there we go. It was a sequel to their concept album, Danger Days, The True Lives of the Fabulous Killjoys. Right. So he kind of continued that on. And I know that there's been a lot of hype around the Umbrella Academy, which is something that he created and wrote, oh my gosh, in 2007 initially. It's currently up to 15 issues, technically 12 if you count three short stories, but it's just like, I don't know. It's interesting that it's still like that gothic emo feel to it. And that's actually being turned into a TV show, I believe. Yes. Apparently that should be coming out this year. Yeah. Because they initially announced that it would be developed into a TV series in 2015 as opposed to a film. Then last year, Netflix greenlit a live action adaptation of it. And apparently that's due to premiere this year. Otherwise, I know nothing about this. I think he certainly branched out the most out of these bands because, you know, obviously American Idiot was on Broadway and everything like that. And Patrick Stump has some other stuff that he does. He's done solo work and everything like that. But with Gerard Way, he really dove into the comics world. He wrote some comics for Marvel. He did some stuff with a DC imprint. And I think he's still heavily involved in one of the imprints actually now too. Right. And he's also done a lot with Dark Horse as well, which is where the Umbrella Academy comes into play. And I just looked at the TV page for on Wikipedia for it. This could be good. Yeah, it looks very interesting. I'll be checking it out for sure. Ellen Page is in this. Mary J. Blige is in this. Brit Heartthrob uh, Tom Hopper is also in this. And of course, if you're not as much of an Anglophile as me, then of course you're probably like, yeah, why are you saying that this guy is a heartthrob when we've never even heard of him? If you've ever seen Merlin, you'll know who I'm talking about because he was Sir Percival. Yeah, well, th this is obviously all a little different than the fan club for MCR, but I think a lot of those same fans have really followed Gerard Way's career, whether it's music, comics, TV, or whatever. It's sort of like he is holding down the fan base because he's still producing content and giving them something to enjoy, even if it isn't My Chemical Romance music. This is true. And remember, earlier this year, there were rumors that they would be reuniting. Like, I saw that blow up all over Twitter, and I was just like, really? Is this actually going to be a thing? Like, why are people saying, oh, my God, Life and Style has an article about them breaking up. Good grief. <laughs> you know that the MCR fan base is still going strong when they're in a tabloid magazine. I am dead serious. Yeah. This article is, my chemical romance broke up five years ago, and we're still not okay. Here's what the members are up to. This is absurd. And then it probably had to list like 20 things for Gerard Way. <laughs> uh, actually, this is an article from March 22nd. So this is very recent. For Gerard, he's got a small paragraph where he's 
writing for Doom Patrol in the DC Universe. And, ah, this is probably where some of the reuniting or the reunion rumors were coming from. Because earlier this month, he revealed that he is working on new music. And then Mikey Way went through a divorce and... He checked into rehab and he's now sober and now he's in a band called Electric Century. Frankie Arrow is also still making music and he's got three kids now. Then the drummer Ray Toro has a solo album called Remember the Laughter. Um, Bob Breyer was an original drummer, but, you know, he is now a real estate agent. And then we've got James DeWeese, who is 42 and still working on Reggie in the full effect. I don't know why there wasn't more inter, like intersection between Reggie in the full effect and My Chemical Romance. Like, what? Mind blown. <laughs> yeah, so it sounds like most of the band members are okay doing their own thing right now. So it'll be interesting to see if anything comes of the band reuniting or anything like that. Maybe 2018 is their year. Could be. Well, is there anything else you want to mention about these three bands in particular? And obviously there are other bands out there who have fan clubs and everything like that, but we can't get to everyone. And I think, you know, Megan, next episode, we are going to be diving into more of the pop world of fan clubs and everything, because as we've mentioned, you know, there's Lady Gaga, Nicki Minaj, Ariana Grande. I think Adele has a name for her fans. So there are plenty of she? ladies of pop. Yes, I believe I saw on the list that it that she calls them the daydreamers. That would make sense. That would absolutely make sense. Yeah. So th there's a little sneak peek for all of you of what's to come next. But right now... Megan and I actually have a recommendation in common. This very rarely happens here. So we are both going to talk about this one and then we each have another recommendation for everyone. So Casey Musgraves Golden Hour is streaming over at NPR right now. So you don't have to wait until it's out on Friday to listen to it. You can actually go listen to it now and we'll be sure to link to that in the show notes. But Megan, you mentioned to me that you thought the album started off a little slow. And at first I did feel that way. I only listened to it once. So I was listening. I was like, oh, this is an interesting choice for, you know, the first song on the album. But I knew from the singles that not every song was going to sound the same. There's definitely a lot more experimentation, I think, on this album from her. This is so true. I mean, shout out to NPR for having this awesome first listen, which gives a lot of people the opportunity to listen to many anticipated albums about a week before they're actually released. But Golden Hour, oh my gosh, it's a different sound from her. I love this. I love, love, love Butterflies. I really do. Like, Butterflies is probably one of my favorite love songs because I am a cheesy, sappy person <laughs> at heart. But I think that the, like, just putting Butterflies and then Oh What a World, one after the other, oh, my heart. <laughs> Still not super fond of Slow Burn, which is the first song, so maybe you could just slowly burn that off the record. I don't know. But if we go to High Horse, which was the most recent single released, this is nothing like we've heard from her ever. It's disco country glam at its finest. Yeah, she definitely gets a little 70s on this album at times. Ugh, and it's like the perfect era for her. And it's not overdone either. It's not like you're listening to a Donna Summer album or something like that. It's just incorporated so well and it 
she blends it in with everything else. So I think there will be some people who maybe don't like this as much as her previous work. And, you know, that's fine. But I had a feeling that you and I would certainly be talking about this album in some capacity here. Yes. And if you don't follow her Instagram, you probably should because her Instagram stories are so entertaining. I know she kind of teased her new music before the announce of Golden Hour, and she posts some hilarious candids of herself with her beloved karaoke mic. It's a thing. She owns a karaoke microphone, and it's the best thing I could ever think for her. But it also focuses on her wonderful fashion sense. Like, oh my god, she's classicals for me. Yeah, absolutely. I'll certainly be listening to this more before it officially drops on Friday. But what else do you have to recommend today? I've been holding on to this recommendation since episode 100. Because once again, NPR's first listen came through for me and had the Decemberist I'll Be Your Girl as one of their picks a few weeks ago. Two of the songs on the album, Everything Is Awful and We All Die Young, were two songs that I heard live in concert last year when they had their traveling off to Ragnarok tour, which I have been waiting for the past like year for a studio version of Everything is Awful. And they didn't disappoint me in the least with it because I have played it at least 500 times since it has come out because everything is awful. But it does take the band to a different direction. Their storytelling is still there. They're maybe not as folksy as they were as they as they were on The King is Dead, and they incorporate a few more synths into their musical calamities. Oh, it's so good. You should all listen to it, because they were on Parks and Rec, and I've also been doing a major Parks and Rec rewatch lately. Nice. I was actually just talking about whether or not I need to watch that show, because I have not watched it. (laughs) What? You've never watched Parks and Rec? I don't really watch comedy shows all that much. I think the only current comedy show I watch is New Girl, and that's been off for a while now. I think it's coming back soon, but that's like the only comedy on my I think it's current back TV list. Final season. Oh my gosh, you will absolutely enjoy it, and I'm sure that people will be like, "Oh man, Megan's over there trying to be like Leslie Nope, just so excited about something." You need to watch it. <laughs> if I have to fly to California with a waffle maker and a horse named Lil Sebastian, I will just so you will watch it. It's been on my list, but I am slowly, slowly, slowly making my way through The Sopranos right now. So that's I still have like 50 episodes left of that. It's going to be a while. <laughs> oh, man. But my second recommendation for today is Pilot by Hot Mulligan. I just reviewed this album over on Hi-Fi Noise. And, you know, I haven't been enjoying pop punk bands quite as much as I did in high school and part of college. And I think that's simply just because it's it always feels like a fairly easy genre to grow out of, I guess you could say. And Megan, I know you probably feel the same way where there's certain music you just sort of don't listen to quite as much as you used to. But Hot Mulligan just did this album in a way that makes you sort of forget that they're a pop punk band. You know, they're not just playing power chords or anything like that. So if you've been kind of sort of missing pop punk and haven't really known who to check out, I highly recommend checking out Pilot by Hot Mulligan because they're doing it better than pretty much all of the other pop punk bands that are still around. Oh my God, Hot Mulligan is awesome. And I don't know why they're not blowing up as much as they should be. Yeah, I think they're definitely going to 
get a lot more attention with this album and it just came out fairly recently so i think they're still you know getting press here and there and they're on tour and everything like that so i feel like more people will know about them but now you all know about them so please go listen to them (laughs) and like i said our next episode will be more pop centric we'll have quite a few artists that we're going to talk about in this one kind of similar to this episode where we'll have one that we talk about a little longer than the others but For now, we are going to wrap up this episode, so thank you all for listening, and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.